Welcome to this next Bible study with the Lance Wellnow Show here. And I want to cover with you the going up higher in 2024, so much higher than we have before. And what I'm talking about is how God is going to use the stress of the year in order to perfect the body into aligning in the spirit, walking by faith, coming up higher. Come up higher, the Lord says. There's like an open door this year in 24, but it's in the spirit. So you've got to go up into that spirit. Now, the last uh, Bible study I did, I was talking about the three anointings of David. Most people miss this, but David had three supernatural anointings. The first one was the anointing of empowerment to do the assignment God gave him. The second and the third anointing wasn't an anointing that came from God. It was an anointing that came from men. Well, you say, well, people don't anoint you, but it's a unique kind of anointing. It's called the anointing of recognition. It's when people recognize what you carry. Because if people don't recognize what you've got, you don't have any place to minister what you've been given. So here it is in the Bible. David is at, at, uh, goes to Hebron, and he's operating in the first anointing. That anointing was received from Samuel in chapter 13, verse 14. Samuel brings the sons of Jesse before him, and he's waiting. He can't see who it is. He, he's looking in the natural. He sees this guy looks like presidential material. And uh, this is the king, surely. And the Lord says, ah, don't judge by what he looks like. That one looks the part. But the Lord is looking at the heart. And there's something the eldest son of Jesse had in, in, in appearance that qualified. But on the inside, he wasn't ready. That wasn't the one. So then Samuel goes, is there somebody else? And the father goes, well, there is one. There's a kid out in the field. I'll go bring him. We're not going to get done until we see everybody, every candidate. Soon as David shows up, running over the hill, little ruddy hair kid, you know, all excited. The Lord says, that's the one. <laughs> Samuel anoints him. That's the supernatural anointing. Then David, as you remember the story, goes through the contradiction. He's anointed, but you're going to find out Saul's throwing javelins at him. Because God, in a sense, is maturing David so that he can handle what he's been given. This is the maturing process of the supernatural, of the anointing, of the gifting of God. And everybody goes through it. That's why the Bible's written, so you can read these things. I talk about them in the Mount Zion mantle. I talk about them in that you're authorized to do something. You put these two together, it's like nitro and glycerin for your gift of any amount and making it available to you. And I'm teaching you from those lessons right now. It's lancewallet.com forward slash open door or just call 800-910-6349. And like I said, I want to get them to you. Just give me what you can in, in terms of what you're capable of doing and get the teaching. Why? Because the second anointing is 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 12. That comes in the plains of Hebron. And this is when the anointing of rec recognition starts. The next level here will allow him to go from one level in Hebron to Jerusalem to be able to start to occupy territory. As he comes into the Judah anointing him, then what happens is all the tribes of Israel come together 
And the anointing of recognition goes to all 12 tribes. Now, all 12 tribes see him, and they anoint David, the Bible says. What do they anoint him with? You are the one who God has anointed. They're recognizing something. Now, David says, let's go take Jerusalem. Let's go up and take the high places. He's now coming to the hill of God, where the garrison of the Philistines is located, what Saul was supposed to do, David will do. He takes the high place, boom, and sets up the tabernacle of David, a place where the rest of God will be, a place where the prophetic anointing of God will be, a place where the music of God, the song of heaven, is going to come down over the tabernacle, and in this place, David will end up acquiring 400% more territory from the devil by doing it through the anointing, recognition of that anointing on him, and then strategies to take the high places and establish God's government on the hill Satan occupied. Now, would to God that we could have that kind of revelation. When I teach about seven mountains, you know, the devil and the left freaks out, and a lot of religious people too. Because I say, hey, God... God's kingdom wants to come down and he wants to have a church that kicks the devil out and has the tabernacle of David, the supernatural prophetic power of God communing in worship and prayer, decreeing out and mobilizing the saints to go into academia, into government, into media, into arts and movies, into the various mountains of business and finance. There's no reason why this model can't work today. It's in the Bible. What's necessary is people that are willing as the ecclesia, the people of God, to move together to be the, the body of Christ in the city, the body of Christ in the neighborhood, the body of Christ in a nation. Satan will destroy America unless the church rises up because what does the Bible say? I will build my ecclesia, my called out company, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Where are the gates? In the high places. Where's God's tabernacle supposed to be? At the top. I'm going to cause you, my Jewish forefathers were told, to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. The church wants to separate itself and live over here in a box. What will happen is the whole culture will get taken over by Philistines. Then the Philistines will start to attack your religious liberty, your freedom of speech. It's already happening. It's already happening. And then people go, well, I don't want to get involved with government. I don't want to get involved with controversy. Well, you're only having controversy because these areas are being taken over by Philistines, and Philistines are coming after you. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That the Gaza territory that is right now being used by Hamas against Israel is the territory of the Philistines against the Jews. It's history repeating itself all over again. And when you say, well, the end time's shaking, I will shake everything that can't be shaken. Do you know when that prophecy was delivered? It was delivered on October 6th by the prophet Haggai on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you know when the Philistine Hamas in Gaza attacked the unsuspecting Jewish settlers out there? October 6th. 
Literally on the same day the prophet prophesied global shaking will come. A global shaking started on October 6th, and now, boom, America's caught in its own situation. This year, 40% of the world is going to be electing and voting on what kind of leadership they're going to have, what kind of leadership's going to be at the top of their mountains. It's all happening now. The Mount Zion mantle can never be more relevant. Let's go uh, sit down and take a look at what the Bible says. So, we're in that period of shaking. Now, the shaking is a strange thing because we look at shaking as, oh, shaking end times, the Antichrist and, and uh, you know, the rapture and a bunch of people that have no vision for occupying territory are doubling down on all their rapture teaching. They're selling record boatloads of their conferences on the raptures any day, but it isn't. And why isn't it? Well, because Jesus has an assignment for the church. Go, go, be a witness of the power of the age to come in all the world. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world. Now, there has to be some demonstration of what the kingdom of God looks like. We're tasting the power of the age to come, bringing it into this age, showing a, a preview in a city, in a state, in a small nation or a large nation. There has to be a demonstration because Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. And the father told the son, ask of me and I'm going to give you uh, the nations for your inheritance, the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. God literally opening the door for us in this hour of the open door to be a witness for him in every sphere. That's the reason why I'm interested in this verse that says in Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verse, uh, look, at, look at what it says here. Hebrews chapter 12, it says here in verse 26, God's voice then shook the earth. He said, yet once more, I'm going to shake everything that can be shaken. I'm going to shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. What does that mean? Satan is under siege. God isn't shaking his own kingdom. Why do I know God's not shaking his own kingdom? Because he says, I'm giving you access to an unshakable kingdom. So his, his kingdom can't be shaken. Well, what heaven is getting shaken? It says it right here. I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. What does the Bible say? You wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness uh, and the spirit world, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. God is coming down to earth and he's laying siege to Satan's strongholds. This is what's fleshing out the Antichrist, what's fleshing out the beast system. It's because God's creating a confrontation of kingdom against kingdom and he's coming back to reward those that are on the front lines advancing the kingdom. To do that, you have to know the hour you're in. You're in the hour of war, but you're in the hour of peace. You're in the hour when God wants you possessed by the peace. And I'll tell you why. Because he says, he has promised, yet once more I will shake. Promise is a weird word. I would have chose the word, and yet once more he has warned, I'm shaking. But you see, it's a warning to the unbeliever, but a promise to the people of God. Why? Because he's promised that he's going to shake everything that can't be shaken, that can be shaken, so that the unshakable kingdom of God is the only thing left. Uh, like you're panning for gold. You're out there in the Sierra Madres. You got a whole bunch of dirt in there, and you're 
you're shaking the pan, you're shaking the pan, put it in the river, shake the pan, and what's shaken out, what's left is the gold. God's going to shake everything until there's a manifestation of his glory, a manifestation of his kingdom, a manifestation of his bride, of his people. And then the Lord returns. He returns to deal with that which is militating against his kingdom and establishing his rule on planet earth, gathering the nations before him. Is this your understanding of the last days? If it isn't, well, then you're going to end up suffering from premature rapture anxiety, meaning instead of knowing your assignment and what you're called to do and standing in your anointing, you're going to be trying to hide out, dodge uh, the spiritual bullets, and, uh, and, and keep on practicing rapture jumping until God catches you up. But it's not going to happen that way because the Lord is coming back. You could say he is not coming back until he has a bride that has made herself ready. And who are the ready ones? The ones that ascend the hill of the Lord. The ones that move all the way up to their Mount Zion mantle. That's why I want you to get the Mount Zion mantle. And you are authorized. I want you to do it for whatever your gift amount is. You need to get it because um, you can push past the turmoil and the confusion of conflicting voices in the atmosphere and enter the tabernacle of God's presence on the top of the situation. Go into the spirit and stay in the spirit. All right, so uh, in terms of ascending the hill, I think there's great incentives that we should be looking at. Uh, you want to you be, you, you want to take a look at Hebrews chapter 12 here. If you got your Bible, I encourage you to get one. You can read with me. And it talks, starting off with, um, you've come in verse 22 to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, chapter 12, 22 of Hebrews, the heavenly Jerusalem. So you've come to that place. And I believe more and more we're going to be able to commune, if you will, with third heaven realities. We're going to be experiencing more and more what it means to come up here and I'll show you things to come. Walk in the spirit. See in the spirit. See things from heaven's perspective down. See things from God's blueprint to earth rather than from the turmoil of earth trying to discern what's going on up there. Come up and look down upon it. I remember I had a teacher by the name of Iko Horman, a great lady. She was, um, I, let's see, she was Asian. I don't know if she was uh, Korean or Chinese. But she used to come to my church when I pastored. And Iko Horman had a great miracle anointing. And she'd teach. And she said, one day, she said, Lance, the Lord caught me up. And I was dealing with situations down here, helping people get set free. And I was caught up and I looked down and I saw the feet of Jesus. And I said, Lord, what is this? And she saw past the feet to the earth. And the Lord said, I want you approaching this seated in heavenly places. If you're seated in heavenly places, then you're looking down upon the situation. You're never under the weather because you're over it. You're literally looking down upon it. And you pray from the position of being seated with Christ. That's above principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. From a seated position, you're authorized from heaven to deal with earth. But this, uh, this company that's in heaven is called the General Assembly and Church of the Firstborn. I personally believe, unlike a lot of teachers, I believe there's more than one rank and order in heaven. 
There's uh, even the resurrection, Paul says, is going to have different levels of glory. The glory of the sun is one. The glory of the moon is another. The glory of the stars is another. 30, 60, 100 fold is, I believe, a reality. There's levels of attainment in terms of uh, the, the, the ranking of heaven. Jesus said, behold, I come quickly and my rewards are with me. Everybody isn't getting the same thing. And he taught that, that, uh, that there's different levels, if you will, of, of reward. The Apostle Paul, for instance, was looking forward to his reward, that he would be able to give an account to Jesus. And there are crowns that are being given, a crown of life. There's a martyr's crown. There's various incentives that the first century church really knew. And, and those incentives are so strong that Jesus actually says, and I believe it's in, where is it? It's in um, Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus says, hold fast your crown, lest another take it. Hold the crown. Don't let it be lost, but hold on to what you've attained. And don't let someone beguile you out of it and compromise you away from it. That makes sense if you go back to Hebrews and you go back to what Jesus says in, or the scripture says about you've come to Mount Zion and uh, see that you pay attention to him that is speaking because the shaking is coming and it's a promised shaking so that the unshakable can be revealed. Then there's a warning. And the warning is, do not be like Esau who sold his birthright for an earthly message, mess of, of pottage. Now take a look at chapter 12, verse 15. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest anyone not take hold of the provision, the, the grace and divine enablement of God, the provision of God, and what's the great uh, danger here? That a root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by that many be defiled. Do you know the root of uh, bitterness is a root that is at work right now in, in the United States? Bitterness, if you go right down to what uh, is at the root of Marxism, it's an envy of those people that have something. And the accusation is that you don't deserve anything you have and that everything is to be redistributed because you don't deserve anything and someone else is more noble than, than you are, and they'll redistribute everything so that everybody gets the same. But what happens when everybody gets the same? Well, you'll find out the people that have the greatest confidence are always going to end up at the top. There will always be those that are going to be faithful and diligent to work with what they've got. And like a cork, you can put it down, but it's going to keep coming up. Then there's other people that you give them the lottery. You give them... You give them um, uh, wealth that hasn't been achieved and they end up, you track them later, you find out they're in debt. You find out that the money all gets redistributed eventually anyway. And the people that know how to handle it have more of it. The people that don't, don't have it. And this is why when you have athletes and various people that come into a great deal of money, if they don't manage it well, well, they end up uh, being broke because it's not about the wealth. It's about the skill and ability and competency and qualification that enables you to achieve or attain. And so in a, in a functioning society, everyone should be getting opportunity and the rewards should be based upon diligence and faithfulness 
with uh, handling and stewarding what's been given. But this bitterness that is basically in universities and in, and in teachers and professors that have an envy of others, they transmit that even into students. And then the students pick up this, this sense of entitlement and anger that nothing anyone else has is legitimate so they can go ahead and smash, grab, take. And, and, uh, and that's what feeds that whole spirit. If you're wondering what's going on in, in these uh, scenes where you see people breaking into stores and looting, it's because they've been taught that no store is legitimate, that you have a right to whatever is in there and you should just go get it. That's wealth redistribution according to the Marxist mentality. It's also lawlessness and it's also a formula for chaos because it creates bitterness from those that have labored to have and then to have it unjustly taken from them. You see, this, this verse is so key. Look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the divine enablement of God and that a root of bitterness gets into you and that that bitterness causes you to be an influence that defiles other people. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. This is interesting. Now it's getting into sexual practices. And it's saying that the fornicator or profane person or the godless person, the person that has no, you're not going to tell me what to do with my body. I'll do whatever I want to do with it. I'll sleep with whatever I want. I'll get pregnant. I'll abort. I'll, I'll, I'll get people pregnant and I won't, won't take responsibility. All of that is what's called a profane person. And then it goes on to say like Esau. So we find out that Esau had the tendency to be a profane person. And that uh, for one morsel of food, for he was hungry one day and his brother Jacob had uh, made, made uh, lunch and his brother came in from hunting and he hadn't caught anything and he was so famished, he said to his brother, uh, give me that to eat. And the brother well, he did something which I think is a little bit um, mean in a way. He said, oh, how much do you want that? And uh, Esau said, I'm dying of hunger, man, uh, whatever. And uh, Jacob said, give me your birthright, which is really a, a piece of paper that represents a spiritual transaction because you came out of the womb first, technically. Uh, we both were born at the same time, but you popped out first. I was holding on to your heel. They were both born the same hour, the same minute, but one came out first. Technically, Esau was the firstborn, and he got this mystical inheritance of a birthright, which was a spiritual title deed to a blessing from the father. Esau didn't value it. Now, pay attention to this. The Bible says, do not be like Esau. Don't let bitterness get in. Don't let sloppy living get in. Don't let, your, don't let yourself be be seduced into giving away your crown for a temporary sensual gratification and forfeiting your spiritual inheritance. Now, what happens here is he sold a birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. Now, what happens here? You remember the story? Well, the story goes on, I think it's in Genesis, where Jacob, uh, the moment comes when Isaac, his father, is going to die, and he's going to, he senses his mortality. And so he decides to release the blessing of the firstborn. And he's going to lay hands upon his children and give them the blessing. Now Esau didn't value it, but he wants it. And so the time comes for him to receive the laying on of hands 
and prophecy and the release of the blessing of the firstborn, similar to Samuel anointing David. Isaac is now going to anoint Esau. But what happens? Uh, Jacob fakes him out, and his mother helps conspire. She cooks the meal for the old man. The man's got eyesight is dim, which is a spiritual sign of his deteriorated discerning. And when, uh, when Jacob comes in, he's got fur on him, and the dad touches him. He says, well, you kind of feel hairy like your brother. You smell like uh, you've been outdoors in the field. Uh, you, you, it, this tastes like the kind of soup and food that I love. And, well, I guess it's you. He lays hands on him, and he says, Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of, smell of the field, which the Lord has blessed. I'm in Genesis chapter 27, verse 28. And he releases the three parts, catch this, of the birthright blessing of the firstborn. All right, pay attention. Of the dew of heaven, may God give you the dew of heaven. What's the dew of heaven? That's the anointing of the firstborn, the blessing of God. And with it, may you have the fatness of the earth. That's called material prosperity. The earth will bring its fat. The flocks will be flourishing. The vineyard will flourish. The grain will flourish. You'll be able to trade and eat with abundance. The dew of heaven will come upon you. The fatness of the earth will prosper you with plenty of grain, plenty of wine, and now a governmental anointing, a political anointing, if you will, the power to rule, to have kingly authority amongst other people and let people serve you. Let nations bow down in subordination to you. You'll have the blessing of God, you'll have material prosperity, and you'll have the power of influence among men. And you will be master over your brethren. Let your mother's sons bow down to you. And then there's a word of curse. May your enemies be foiled. You'll have them, my son. But may the demons and the people that work with them fail in trying to hurt you. Cursed is everyone who curses you, and blessed is everyone who blesses you. The fourfold blessing of the firstborn that comes with the birthright is the anointing, prosperity, governing authority in the affairs of men, and thwarted enemies. Pretty powerful stuff, wouldn't you say? Well, Jacob takes off, and then Esau comes in. I'm here, Dad, ready to get the blessing. And Isaac trembles. He trembles. He goes, what? Well, 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 who, well, who was that? I just, I just released it. Esau goes, wait a second, you just released what? He goes, yeah, I just released the blessing. The blessing that was not wanted and valued by Esau was valued by Jacob. Jacob was a rascal. He got his brother's blessing. But God will wrestle with Jacob. And God will give a name change to Jacob. And Jacob will end up becoming Israel. He will end up having a name change. All of this is in the You Are Authorized teaching. It's in the Mount Zion mantle. I want you mantled to hold on to your birthright, to experience the blessing of the firstborn. I believe in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23, the general assembly is all the saints redeemed of all the ages. 
submit, the Bible says in Corinthians, we covered this two weeks ago, there will be those at the judgment seat that will have no reward, but they'll have eternal life. It's a joy to be in heaven, but they never served God, never, 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 but they had a deathbed conversion or they, or they had enough faith to get to heaven, but they never produced any, any service, any fruit for the kingdom. And they will be saved, yet as by fire, the Bible says, come enter into the joy of the Lord. But that general assembly is separate from the church of the firstborn. Who are the church of the firstborn? They are the ones, I believe, who have the birthright. The birthright, as we look at this in our next teaching, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, is a double portion anointing, a double portion inheritance. Literally, it means that the firstborn has the birthright, and at the time that the father passes away, two-thirds of the inheritance goes to the number one son. Why would two-thirds go to the number one son? Because he's got responsibility to take care of mom and to make sure all the rest of the kids are taken care of. That's what I'm going to talk about next, why God has a double portion end-time church. But we'll be back again with our next uh, show, uh, next teaching, and you're going to love it. Remember, the Mount Zion Mantle, lancewallet.com forward slash open doors, and uh, call 800-910-6349 and get a hold of it for your gift of any amount. We'll be back again next week with some wild word from the Bible. God bless you. Did you enjoy this latest episode? Please remember to share it with your friends because the more knowledge you have, the better equipped you are to navigate the world.